Hey, party people! It is September the 17th. It is Friday here in Egypt, and the time is 3.46 p.m. How are y'all doing? Well, I'm doing great. I love when the weekend hits, and uh, it's a new weekend style for me, so I realized that, okay, so my body had to adjust to the flight schedule. And then I had to adjust to the time schedule, meaning I'm in the upside down. So there's this like four to five hour time frame where we're crossing paths and y'all are getting ready to go to bed and I'm getting up. But y'all know what? I forgot about the whole week schedule. And I am having to adjust. Um, Being off on Friday and Saturday and having to work on Sunday. By Tuesday, I'm literally, I have to remember. Because by Tuesday, I get lost. And I get confused and I get mad. And why why do I feel like I've been at work for eight days? (laughs) And it's only Tuesday. And it's because... I've been at work since Sunday, so I am making another adjustment time-wise, and it's not really me. It's my body. It's, it's everything. It's the cells, right? So I, I don't know when that's, gonna, when that's going to, or if it ever will. I do know when I was in the States working Monday through Friday, we all knew when it was Wednesday because Wednesday felt like a Wednesday. You know what I mean? It felt like the middle of the week. It felt like, you know, that that place between everything happening and everything not happening. It, it's that place where you feel stuck if you're having a bad week. Um, actually, it's that place where you feel stuck in a work week period because it's the middle. Well, Tuesday is my new middle. And it's a hard adjustment. So I'll let y'all know when I feel comfortable. It'll probably be right <laughs> right when the end of the school year happens. Um, so here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So this is the week in review. I have learned a lot about myself. The biggest thing that happened this week for me was um, talking to my students about being on the spectrum. So after I got them all their little jobs and their occupations, I'm telling y'all, my discipline prefect, she is a beast. And I might have to, um, I don't want to take her off her her job because I don't want to upset her. However, (laughs) everything bothers her. So we were in class and I'm teaching and she raises her hand and she's like, miss. And there was a, a student behind her. She's like, while you're teaching, he's humming and he's not paying attention. So I had to stop. I had to. There are moments when most of the time when I'm around kids, I'm not. I have the ability to stop and think that I don't necessarily have with adults. And this was a trigger for me when she said he was humming because I didn't hear him. So I stopped and I said, how many of y'all know what the spectrum is? And they didn't know. None of them knew. And I basically said, where I'm from, the spectrum is this measuring ground for, for how, how children learn, how students learn. And I said, it begins all the way to the lowest of the low to the highest of the high which are like the geniuses and the lowest of the low being um, students who need extreme help with the learning process. And then I proceeded to tell them that I was on the spectrum, not just as a child, but now as an adult. And what does that mean? So this was a story that I told them. I said, when I was in orientation, when I first got here, and they're, they're telling me about the school system, and I'm having to learn how you guys do things here, there was a moment where I got really bored. 
and I go over to my backpack because I can, I carry this little book with me or I carry I always carry something with me because I know me now. And I pull out my little red book with my name on it and I open it to this little page where I was doodling and I open it up and I say when I get bored I doodle. And there was a collective gasp that went around my classroom. One of the students who y'all heard on my podcast yesterday, the little girl who was like asking me about the glasses and very talkative and saying she was a Leo and she has anger issues. She was like, miss, I have the same thing. Look, look. And she held it up. And I was like, yep. So my explanation to them was and to my discipline prefect is we all learn differently. I said, I can actually listen and doodle at the same time. You have to figure out how you learn. And it's okay to discover that with me. As long as when I ask you a question, you can either answer it right or you can say to me, well, I don't understand. But normally you should be raising your hand during the lesson to say, hey, I don't understand. Even if you're doodling. Because I know you're actively listening. And that's okay. This is our first week of school. We're just getting to know each other. And Miss Spencer, Miss Kamika, they call me Miss Kamika. Miss Kamika is not, I'm not locked and loaded yet. I'm still having to learn how to prepare uh, to be in the classroom with you guys. So let's give each other a little bit of a grace period. Okay, so thank you for telling on him. But we're going to give him a grace period. Now, here's what's even funnier. She didn't have her copybook. So she had to put herself on the discipline list that day. <laughs> she was like, Miss, I don't have my copybook. I was like, Girl, you going to write your name down on that discipline list? Because it's that serious around here. They're like, don't take, don't take anything from these kids. Like, don't let them get away with nothing. If they talk and they don't raise their hands, be consistent with saying, You didn't raise your hand. I'm not going to talk to you because you didn't raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. So um, that was a part of that. And and, and being um, vulnerable about that because I'm still pretty sensitive about the fact that on some level I had disconnected from the fact that I, I was on the spectrum as a child and had disconnected from thinking that I was still on the spectrum as an adult, which I am. And that is kind of the core foundation for a lot of why I claim to be weird and making people understand that through my actions and through my words. I used to be more of an active person. Like I would just walk out of a room or I just wouldn't answer the phone or, and it seemed to be very passive aggressive because I couldn't explain it. Well, now I can explain it, but I don't have to. That's the beautiful part. And being able to connect with students um, in that way is very important. Because a lot of people are being given grief about how their students learn. And nobody is saying, why don't we test this kid and figure out what their learning style is. And put them in a place where they're, they, they can comfortably learn. Instead of being ostracized or being told they're retarded or that they're special needs or any of that. Just put them somewhere where they can, they can flourish. But we don't want to do that. You know, and where I am, there's a claim that there are no special needs kids here. Because I think to, to, to the people here, those kids look a certain way. And that is detrimental to the learning processes of a lot of kids. So yesterday, after having that conversation with them on Wednesday, yesterday when I'm teaching a class, I had five doodlers, five students, literally five students who were doodling while I was teaching. And when I pulled them up to the board so they could answer their questions, they excelled. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. Didn't have to ask a classmate. Didn't have to call on anybody. Didn't stutter. Didn't think too long. They got up there and they answered the question. 
So now I got doodlers in my class. And I don't know how that's going to translate when somebody comes in and actually um, observes my class. But if they try to stop the student, I'm going to have to intervene and say, uh, 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 uh. this is our governing system in this class. Do not tell my kids they cannot doodle while I'm teaching. They're quiet and we've already had the discussion. That's important to me. I know I complain about teaching, but it's always the system that I complain about. It's never about the, um, the way I run my class. So being able to express myself to students who understood that. And my students back in the States understood it too. And it was cool. It's cool for kids to connect with an adult who uh, exemplifies how they feel but can't express it. And it feels good to be an adult who can defend that to the death if I have to. So with that being said, we ain't for everybody and everybody ain't for us. Um... Another thing I'm realizing about school systems that I've been in is that they have a real passive-aggressive way of trying to make you feel like you're valuable, but you can't do valuable things. So by that, I mean you can't go to the bathroom. You can't leave the kids in the class by themselves, even though you got to pee and you haven't had a break since 930. And it's now noon. And on your lunch break, you had to have your staff meeting. So they make you feel guilty about having to go pee. They really do. And they don't, they, yes, they do. They realize that they don't want you to pee. They want, it's like the administration wants you to be human. I mean, the administration only has the right to be human in these school settings. And I'm, to be honest with y'all, I'm not really talking about where I am. This is really just an overall, uh, Feeling And why do I say that? Because the other day I was struggling. I, I really, I let it get to me. I let the social uh, construct get to me because I was tired. And I did not want to go out to my apartment because that meant I had to do the stairs. And I just, <laughs> sometimes them stairs, it's like Candyman. I'm telling you, them stairs are Candyman. So I had gone into the teacher's lounge and I was like, I just want to lay my head back and close my eyes and take a power nap. But the energy around me is is just workaholic. It's like people popping. I mean, these people are throwing coffee back like it's peppermints. And I just can't. I just I, to be honest with y'all, I feel like if I take coffee to stay awake, that I'm doing my body an injustice. Now, that's between me and my conscious. I get it. I know some of y'all out there like, girl, if I, I got to have my coffee, I can't. It's just. When the sun goes up, my body comes alive. When the sun goes down, my body rests. In Mexico, they have siestas. Why can't we just make that what it should be? Because when a siesta, you don't have to have no coffee because you know your break is coming. And not that coffee is poisonous or damaging, but caffeine can be over long periods of time. That's me and my issues. I take that. Do not adopt my issues. I know you're listening to me, but do not adopt my issues. All I'm saying is I don't drink coffee to stay awake. And when I get tired, I need to I need to like go somewhere and regenerate, which is why I don't eat heavy lunches, which is why I don't snack throughout the day. Because for some reason, at this point in my life, I can swallow and get the itis. <laughs> And y'all probably like, girl, you need to go to the doctor and have that checked out. I'm, I'm not, that's not true. I don't swallow, but I can eat like a relative, any kind of meal that puts a weight on me. My body has to process it. And it becomes this moment where I get sluggish. And I should have a right to be able to go somewhere and, and let that processing happen. And then get back on it. Because once the processing happens, I'm good. Now, what do I do? I keep limes on me. I cut limes in half and I put them in a piece of foil and I carry those with me. So whenever I get sleepy or tired, I just take half of a lime 
and I bite into it, let the juice hit, spit the seeds out, bite into it, let the juice hit. And that normally uh, is a really good re-energizer to get me through the rest of my moments. Now, you can't go and have a two-piece at Henderson's and think that that lime is going to work for you. You can't go and have pizza. You can't go and have spaghetti. You can't. You can't. You can do an apple. You can do an orange. You can do some grapes. You can just don't do nothing heavy. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So I do that. Um, So, yeah, I had a guilt trip about power napping in the teacher's lounge. They guilt trip you about sitting down in the classroom. You know, this is the second place I've been where they're like, you need to be walking around the room. You need to be walking around the room, making sure that the kids are on task. And the only reason I don't have a problem with that is because I don't mind walking around the room. I'm a little bit of a, um, that's a part of my ism. You know, I, I don't mind that at all. As a matter of fact, sitting down makes me feel like I'm doing a disservice to the kids. Because when kids really love you, they, they want, they actually feel, um, when you're walking around the room and you're giving them attention, they actually feel seen. Especially when you're present with them. You're not just walking around the room because somebody making you walk around the room. But you're actually present with them. And, and that gives each and every student a sense of, of presence and, and, and being um, appreciated by you. Like it's, I can't really say it, but you feel like my teacher loves me too. She doesn't just love you because she's up at the front of the room and that's all she sees. So I don't have a problem, you know, walking around all of that um and I actually get a little discouraged when I do see teachers sitting down trying to teach because that's some very old school antiquated uh that's a very old school antiquated way of learning and I get it people are like I can't be standing up all day well you might not need to be a teacher that's just point blank period you might not need to be a teacher if you can sit down and think you can teach from that seat you're sadly mistaken and I will stand by it every day and say you're letting students slip through the cracks that's my word and I'm sticking to it. They make you feel guilty about having fun, which is really a contradiction in terms because they'll say, oh, yeah, have fun. Create your own, create your own ways to teach this lesson. And, you know, we want the kids to enjoy their education process. And then they'd be like, it's too much noise coming out their classroom. Why them, teach, why them kids laughing? Why they up? <laughs> Miss Fister, we understand that you want to have fun with the kids. We under wait a minute. I'm not wanting to have fun with the kids. We're learning. Well, they better pass that test. They better pass that uh I can't even remember the name of the test no more. Well, they better pass that test. Well, even if they don't, they're better human beings. How about that? How about they're not gonna rob you tonight? How about they're not gonna sneak out of their mama's house and climb through your window and rob you? Because it's not just about what they're learning in the classroom. You got to teach the whole kid. So, yeah, I just have that thought, you know, these systems. And even people who don't have kids, a lot of y'all are like, I don't have no kids. I don't, or my kids are grown. I don't have to worry about it. Y'all, we're still responsible. We're still responsible for the future of the planet that we live on and the future of the planet that we live on is going to be put into the hands of young people so volunteering every now and then at the school in your community would really benefit you if you're comfortable there now if you if the school around the corner is run by a racist and the people are racist by all means don't go there Unless you see some black kids there because they need they need to know that they're seen. You don't have to be fully active. Just go to the PTA meetings as a concerned citizen. But nobody wants to be in places where they don't want to be. And that's part of the reason why the world is a shit show. That's part of it. Especially if you find yourself saying stuff like, well, I don't have no kids. I don't have to worry about it. You're part of the problem. The education system is a full community effort. It is a full community effort. 
So if you live in a neighborhood and you're like, well, my kids don't go there because I don't like that school. You're part of the problem. <laughs> Take it or leave it. I don't care. I'm saying what I need to say. Um, another thing that happened this week is I had to go get a different SIM card for my phone because my SIM card goes out every 60 days or so. I don't know. And uh, on the way there, I noticed that the cattle and the camels and the goats and the dogs that I normally see on the opposite side of the freeway were on our side of the freeway grazing in the grassy area that's right outside in front of the school. Now, there's not a lot of grassy areas in the little division where I live. So I'm now realizing, oh, they moved and they herd the animals around. So on the way back, there was a little bit of traffic, and I realized, oh, they're moving the animals back to the other side of the freeway. So imagine driving down R.L. Thornton, Walton Walker, and there's traffic because 25, 30 plus animals, dogs, sheep, camels, cows, goats, I think I'd already said goats are being herded back across the freeway. And this is the culture. So ain't nobody honking their horns. Everybody's like, this has to happen. (laughs) This is good. Guess who's herding these animals across the freeway? Just guess. Just think about it. Little Mitzvah and his crew. Remember the little boy, the little kids on the white donkeys? That um, almost, actually I had the inkling to body slam him. I wasn't going to body slam that kid. I don't think I would have. In my mind, I was, yes, I was body slamming him. But I don't know. I I definitely would have sucker punched him. Kicked him. Yeah, I definitely had to kick him to keep him off of me. But little Mitzvah and his crew are these animal herders. They're these kids who I don't know where they come from or who they come from, but they're not in school. This is what they do. And this is probably what they will do. This is, this is who they are. Now, I had an inkling to jump out of my Uber and go start some shit with them, yank them off that donkey, but that wouldn't have been cool. But what I realized was... How do I equate this with what what we have in the States? Because we're very intimidated by poor kids because they are, they have a tenacity towards violence. And unlike these kids here, they don't even have the purpose. They're not collecting cans and taking them to get money because they don't have cars and you need cars to do this kind of shit in, in, from where I'm from. They don't have horses that they can ride. They're just kind of stuck in the environment where they are. And in the environment where they are, it's toxic. It's predatory. It's negligent. So they come to school with dirty clothes on. If they come to school, they come to school smelling like pee. If they come to school, they come to school unprepared. If they come to school, and it's very difficult to save them. So it forced me into this juxtaposition of looking at what these kids have versus what our kids have when it comes to being, quote unquote, in poverty. And I don't really know what to do with it yet. But it is a thing that has settled in my heart and in my mind. Because I'm like, well, at least these kids have purpose. They, yeah, they're, I can tell they're growing up in poverty. I can tell they're not in school. But they know how to ride donkeys. They know how to collectively do what they're doing. Because it's a crew of them. It's a group. It's a gang. Whatever you want to call it. 
Run Amber Deloney calls it little, he she called him little mitzvah. And that's his name from here on out is little mitzvah. But he knows how to herd animals. In an adult world, he knows how to herd animals from one grazing place to another. And that is history. That's how it's been done for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And it's still happening right in front of us. What's not normal is living in a city, in a housing project, or in a, in a neighborhood where everybody is suffering because they're being marginalized by people in positions who are checking off marks on papers and preventing any kind of wealth or any kind of subsidies to go into these neighborhoods and help these people if it's not benefiting their, pop, their pocketbooks. It bothers me that we don't care, that we are not willing to really fight for our kids. I'm talking about going to war for education. I really am. I can't say it no other way. We go and get our degrees and we try to get into the school system to change it. But enough money, because we live in a capitalistic society, you start paying people enough money, they will start turning a blind eye to what really needs to be taking place. And it's happening all over the globe. The rich gather together, open their schools, and their kids get to be bilingual. Their kids get to be travelers. Their kids get to be missionaries. Their kids get to be mercenaries. All the while, we sit back and wait on the government to tell us what to do. And in some cases, we sit back and wait on white people to tell us what to do. We allow them to ban our books. And if a kid is too difficult, we wash our hands of them. So, little mitzvah, his little presence and his little crew's presence brought me to that epiphany. And I realized that somewhere between being a best-selling author and being an educator... My purpose lies between those two spaces. If not, to combine them both and be able to move forward. Because I am deeply concerned, but not at the level to where I'm trying to stand up in front of people and tell them what's wrong. Because that doesn't work anymore. I don't know. I mean, I know people like, yeah, write your congressman. Do this, do this. But without a collective power, the shit just don't work. And another thing I'm not willing to do is be in an economy of education where the men are making most of the decisions. Or white women are making most of the decisions about children that they've never raised. And children that don't look like them. And children who live in places that they cannot relate to. No more. No mas. So with that being said, I'm keep I'm gonna keep move I'm gonna keep moving forward. And because these events are happening to me and they're making my position about education stronger, I will eventually land exactly where I need to be to really, really, really make a difference. I mean, I get it. I'm making a difference in the classroom. And I, that's, that's one of my gifts. And I'm thankful for that gift. I'm thankful I can connect to kids who've never even been to America. I'm so thankful. And I'm thankful that I can make the connection based on learning styles. I'm glad that some these kids were like, oh, me too. Oh, Miss Spencer, that's me. Because that's my tribe. This is the future of my tribe. I'm the presence of my present of my tribe. And I was taught by the tribe in the past. And I'm thankful for the people who saw that in me. Because I'm a nerd. I'm a reader. I'm a writer. I'm an art lover. I'm a roller skater. I'm a loner, Dottie. If you've never seen Pee Wee Herman, you will not get that last little comment I made.
But only special people ever watch those Pee Wee Herman movies. I'm telling you. And I'm not saying special to say you're not special. What I'm saying is, if you watch horror movies, that makes you special. You watch love stories, that makes you special. That's your lane. That's your lane. But a lot of us, were, we're, we're walking around unrealized because our parents were like, well, what you not going to do? Well before we were able to uh, be strong enough to stand in our power and in our talents. And it's never too, re- too late to return to your talents. I still believe if I give my brother a pen and a piece of paper, he can sit and draw anything that'll be worthy for me to frame and put on my wall. My mom has artwork by him on her walls, which is crazy because we never celebrated his gifts. He's a craftsman. My brother is a craftsman. And the only place he was ever fully realized was when he was down at my grandmother's going to school. Taking woodwork classes. And being able to express himself on paper. In ways that were never hindered. But as soon as he came back, then it was all, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, you need to be doing... And we need to stop that. Y'all better figure that out. Because these kids are important. Stop looking at them from the physical level and realize that they come here with all the DNA that they need. And all the room that they need. And it is not our job to suffocate or to take away that room, that space for them. And I get it. Well, baby, you're going to have to do something because you're going to be 18 next week and you can't stay here. I agree with that, too. But if you didn't raise them in their purpose, you can't expect them to get that purpose overnight. So, yeah, you're going to have to house them a little bit longer. That's the cross you're going to have to bear. Most kids know what they want to do before they're ever out of elementary school. They tell you. My mother was like, you need to be a lawyer because you talk too much. Well, that's not the only job in the world where people who talk a lot get to do. Also, I never liked law. I'm a lawbreaker. How dare you tell me I need to be a lawyer? How dare you tell me I (laughs) How dare you tell me I need to be a lawyer when I don't like the law? (laughs) so here i am a teacher with the podcast where i get to do what talk 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 so i'm here to tell y'all as adults if there's something you want to do do it just do it give it a try you don't have to make it a occupation you don't have to you know but but get into it get into it quit letting the limitations that somebody else put on you uh, make you limited It's okay Because what it does Is it pleases God And that Is the most important thing of all If you ask me is You please God Alright so What else happened this week um, I made it through It was a su- successful first week I'm very 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 proud Um, Because I literally wake up every morning and I decide what's going to happen. I determine what's going to happen. And I walk in every freaking second as a conscious being who's aware of what the pitfalls are and where my rewards are. And it's not that difficult because right now I don't have a full schedule operating for me. So it is only to my advantage that I'm able to be able to kind of slide easily into this new way of teaching, into this new way of being, into this language barrier, and into watching characters all around me. Because my imagination is 
active. My imagination has its own 401k. My imagination pays taxes. <laughs> so I'm very blessed um, to be able to even come to these realizations in my clarity. Um, and I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. Um uh, My brother told me to consider staying here another year because he really is enjoying the podcast and he really feels like, you know, the stories are coming. And it's interesting because I can't see them right now. Like I do the podcast and I get off the phone. I don't go back and listen to them at all. I'm going to tell you that right now. I don't. I tried and I was like, this doesn't even feel right. Um. And I just reposted all of them back online. I, I'm at a point now where I'm just like, mm-mm. I've, 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 I've done the spiritual work too long to be intimidated by my own truth. And I do believe God got me because God be me. So I just put them all back up. They're not in order. And there's two episode 31s. But we, it'll get, things will work themselves out as we move forward or as I move forward. I got to try some new food on yesterday. The Maya is my new thing. It is a eggplant-based breakfast sandwich that has tomato paste, um, onions, sometimes potatoes. I got. I'm gonna figure out how to make it. I said that I wasn't gonna be able to make it, but it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I like it. So I'm gonna try to figure out how to make it. Um. I got to uh, spend some time outside while the students were at recess, and that's pretty cool because the little ones are in one place, the middle schoolers are in one place, and the high schoolers are in another place, but they're all kind of like congregated on the campus together. And it's just interesting to see the games that they play. There's this one game that I saw the students playing where, okay, so there's a round table, and then you have four people at each, like, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Is it 10? 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Anyway. And you bounce the table on the ball. The, the ball has to bounce on the table and then go to the person. They bounce it. So the object of the game is to keep the ball bouncing on the table. Um, it was interesting because it was like a volleyball, like a ball, big ball. It wasn't like a ping pong ball. And I'd never seen, I've never seen students play that game before because normally at recess, there are no tables outside. So I guess because it hasn't rained here, it hasn't, I don't know, I don't even know if there's a rainy season, but it's been pretty uh, tropically set weather-wise here. So uh, when the kids are outside playing, there's all kinds of things going on that you would never or you wouldn't normally see um, in Texas per se because the weather is so bipolar the weather's not bipolar here at all the weather knows who it is the weather has an identity here (laughs) so um I just got to see them socializing and um and it's normal These, these kids are kids there's there's certain things about kids that is the same no matter where you go no matter where you go and I'm enjoying seeing that. I'm enjoying being a part of education. I'm enjoying being a part of the world of writing. I'm enjoying being a voice, uh, a distinctive voice in the world when it comes to what's on paper, as well as what's being presented in the classroom. Being in Egypt is uh, definitely allowing me to set boundaries that I was not willing to set before I came here. Being in Egypt is allowing me to learn languages in a way that I would never, because Texas is just really flat, you know, and it's, it's Spanish and English, depending on where you are. I'm not, I wasn't at a Montessori school. I wasn't at, you know, Jesuit. I wasn't at, you know, all of these private schools where these kids, where you know these kids are getting this. But I do believe that we are not incapable 
of giving our kids the kind of education that I'm seeing these kids get over here. Because as much as these people are like, no, the parents have money, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, they don't have that much money because it's holes in these walls over here. These kids are sitting in wooden seats. So fuck what you heard. I know y'all are like, well, you know, these kids have, a lot of these kids have money. Well, that's, they're not the majority. So when I think about it, it's really just a matter of making the decision of saying the public school system needs to reinstate handwriting. The public school system needs to reinstate cursive writing. The public school system needs to make it mandatory that children um, be studying some kind of language before they leave elementary school. I had to be in the talented and gifted program to take French. But I took it for two years. And the other students at Jan Irvin should not have been denied that that experience just because they were not in the talented and gifted program. That's what Kamika Spencer is saying. That is where I am now. This school functions like a regular old ass school to me. I don't know what makes it special. I really don't. It is its own school system, like a charter school. So a lot of people are like, well, it's the government. Well, it might be time to, like, rise up against that. And I'm not talking about standing in front of the Department of Education, making them understand it. I'd be ready to bash people's heads in, y'all. I'm not going to even lie. I'd just be, <laughs> I'd be ready to just go to war because I don't understand why it's so difficult. The only thing that I think keeps people in America in poverty is access. And the people who deny the access, they're not all the way up at the top. We get educated and we say, I'm going to go in and change the education system. And before you know it, we become the enemy. Because guess what? They, raise, they give you a raise. So you got superintendents making $500,000, $600,000 a year to let motherfucking kids fall through the cracks. That's a problem. And what's even more of a problem is that the people, the parents, the people, the people in the community don't go to these meetings and call that shit out. So if you have children or if you don't have children, I'm a big proponent of on some level, you need to know what's going on in the schools in your neighborhood. Attend a PTA meeting. Just once, just one. And think about how exhausted you are when you come out of there. And then transfer that to a fifth grader or a fourth grader who can't even speak up for themselves. Parents on drugs, parents don't want to grow up, grandparents raising kids, it's all out of whack. And a lot of people want to say, well, it's because the men, men can't be the head of the household anymore. That's not it at all. It's really about responsible adults. I don't give a fuck if you a man, a woman, a transvestite. Uh, I don't even know what else is out there. All the alphabets. It's about being a responsible adult. And being able to nurture and give a kid the room and space to learn and grow. They don't have to have foreign languages school. You can, when I was, mm, we're not going to, okay. So what I'm not going to do is make it seem like my experience was special because it wasn't. My mother didn't want me on the streets. My mother didn't want a pregnant 13-year-old. She didn't want a pregnant 16-year-old. She didn't want a pregnant 17-year-old. And that's the concern of most uh, mothers when it comes to their daughters. Is you're not going to let some little boy get between your legs and cause a ruckus. So when I was in the eighth grade, the summer before eighth grade, my mother, <laughs> and I laughed because I remember being like, what the fuck is going on? I took classes at Cedar Valley, y'all. My mom put me in classes at Cedar Valley and my cousin Dewana or whoever she could call to pick me up or drop me off would pick me up and drop me off. 
So I took a computer class and I took a calligraphy class before I went to eighth grade. And we didn't come from money. My daddy was, we had to chase down that child support sometimes. That's truth. That's truth. And I'm definitely sure that my mother was not going to be embarrassed. Because she had her own uh, enemies who were looking at her upside her head. Waiting for her to fail at being a mother. That's truth. And she had too much pride. But I remember being excited. At first I was like. What are you doing to my life? I'm going to be I'm not going to be with my friends. I'm not going to be able to hang out at the church with my friends. It was all about my friends. But something about being at a college in 8th grade, walking down those hallways and going to my classroom and sitting in that desk and being in a classroom with all kinds of people. I was in the 8th grade in a classroom with adults taking beginner computer classes. I was in a classroom with adults taking calligraphy. Because my mama didn't want me on the street. And I don't even know if she was able to pay for that on her own. But my mother had friends. My mother had friends. My mother had brothers and sisters who helped her. But my mother was also a hustler. Highland Hills, y'all. Both of my parents. Highland Hills. So when you come out of struggle, you struggle to make things happen. And that was my mother. That was me. So you don't have to depend on the school system. You got to do something for your kids. And when they're young enough, you can make them do it. Instead of spending that money on yourself. And I get it. I get it. Raising children is a motherfucking pain in the ass. It is. Because you got you to gotta let go. You got to let go of who you think you are. And become holy who they need you to be. Many are chosen. Many are chosen. But only a few are accepted. And a lot of us are doing it by ourselves. And I say us, not as a parent. But I'm speaking as a teacher who has to connect with parents who are doing it by themselves. And, you know, schools now, like, teachers can't put kids in the cars because teachers now, on a, you know, all over the world are becoming predators. But I ain't no predator. And I grew up in a system where if it was raining and my teacher passed me on her way to work, she would pull over and put us all in the car and get us to school safely. I'm in a place now where it's community. This is a community system. And I'm talking about full community system. That I did not experience in the States. I experienced it when I was at Harmony, i.e. the name Harmony, where if a, school, if a kid fell apart or something was happening, there was a system in place that immediately activated to protect whatever was going on in that moment. It wasn't a, what's going on? Oh, girl, let me close my classroom door because I don't want to, ooh, I just don't want them to call me. I don't want to be a part of it. So that's my weekend review from the educational side. In the review, in the uh, editing of my book, I'm on chapter 15. I'm excited. Um, shout out to Emma Rogers, whose birthday was yesterday. She's my queen to be. I love Miss Rogers, y'all. Y'all know that was, she hired me straight out of school, straight out of college.
and kept me on board until I could get situated, till I could find my way in the world as a brand new adult. So happy birthday, Emma Rogers. This podcast is solely dedicated to you on your day. Ms. Rogers in her 80s, y'all, and she still walked every morning. She walked like four miles a day. Not four. Am I saying that? Did she tell me four miles? I'm going to say two. I think she told me four, though. I'm pretty sure Ms. Rogers told me she walks four, out, four miles a day. But she be getting it. And she in her 80s. All you got to do is set the goal and be intentional about being that. I told y'all, I'm going to be the 90, 95, 96-year-old woman with pretty feet. And I got to have a plan for that. <laughs> Figure out what your goal is going to be, y'all. You have longevity, and longevity has its place. Make a, play, make a plan for yourself 20, 40, 50 years from now. And be intentional. Be intentional. The world is your oyster. But you got to know what an oyster is. Study oysters. Because the world is my playground. That's just what that is. So I was told uh, this morning on a phone call that I should be, uh, I'm going to say the czar of education in the United States. Czar is my new word. Priestess of education in the United States. And I might. I can do many things. I'm a woman. Phenomenally. The whole idea of me being um, created was a multitasking of the universe. Y'all like that, didn't you? The whole idea of me being created was a multitasking of the universe. So, who knows what tomorrow holds? Be good, be good, be good, be God. Peace, y'all.